Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com slash events. Welcome to the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. Here, we settle into the murky, tangled, and freaking hard parts of life to restore our relationship with the self so it can ripple out to the people we love, the work we do, and the world around us. If we can't fix what's wrong, then our grandchildren inherit it. In order to fix what's wrong, we have to talk about it. And we can't move that conversation forward if we're not willing to be real about where we are now. We have to push on the edge of what it means to connect. Otherwise, nothing will ever change. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong. I'm here to guide you through a series of radically honest conversations about what it means to be truly human in all of its messy, beautiful, hilarious, and heartbreaking glory. In our collective effort of looking inward, we're starting to do the outward work of reconnecting the world. While these discussions will guide you into the connectfulness practice, this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for the depth of work that you'd encounter with a licensed provider. If something in this episode touches you, reach out. That's where you initiate the ripple that restores relationships. You can learn more about my Connectfulness Counseling practice and our collective for therapists in private practice at connectfulness.com. Hello, friends. Welcome back. This show is a monthly show, and eventually we'll go back to that monthly format. But for right now, there's just too much information and too many conversations that I'm having with colleagues that I don't feel that these episodes can wait. So I'm going to be pushing them out on a weekly basis for a little while. And then we're going to slow things down again to that monthly, more sustainable format. Today, we're going to be talking with my friend and colleague, Julianne Taylor Shore, also known as Jules. Jules is a therapist who's been in private practice for over 10 years in Austin, Texas. She specializes in applying interpersonal neurobiology to the healing of trauma and the creation of relational health. The reason I wanted to have Jules on the show today is because a big part of what people are experiencing in this pandemic is extreme isolation, fear, and grief. And all of these experiences work together with how we have learned to see the world. When we're isolated at home with our most intimate relations, there's something that's being triggered in this space of fear and grief and isolation. And I'm really, I was really curious about how it's affecting our relationships. So I invited my friend Jules on to talk with me about this today. I also wanted to let you know about an initiative that I am heavily involved in. Coronavirus Online Therapy is a soon-to-be nonprofit and we're a collective of experienced licensed private practice therapists all across the country who have agreed to lower their fees to $50 or less per session in order to support those on the front lines of COVID-19 in the USA. We're talking about healthcare professionals, first responder, grocery store employees, everyone who is an essential employee during this pandemic. We thank you and we want to serve you. So our therapists are offering short-term online therapy for $50 per session or less. 
If you're a frontline worker who wants to request a session, if you're a therapist who wants to get involved in the initiative, or if you're someone with a skill or a service to donate, check out coronavirusonlinetherapy.com. We'd love to have you get involved in the initiative. And without further ado, here's the show. Welcome back. I'm here today with Jules Shore, a therapist in Austin, Texas, who happens to be a RLT couples counselor, a trauma specialist, and specializes in educating people about interpersonal neurobiology. Hi, Jules. Hi. It's I'm so good to see you. So good. So good. I, we should just kind of ground folks a little bit and let them know that like, as the coronavirus was like starting to really take over the United States, we happened to be in a training together in Mexico. We had just met. <laughs> we had just met. <laughs> and we were out of the country yeah. and away from our children. <laughs> All of that. Yes. Yes. <sighs> so here we are meeting again over yeah. Zoom. Yeah. And, you know, the reason I wanted to bring you in here is because we both share a common framework in regards to working with couples, and that's RLT. But you bring into this work so many different components in regards to the interpersonal neurobiology and the brain science and your trauma specialization. And I couldn't think of somebody better to talk to about what it's like and what we're all going through being in isolation now. Yeah. How we're living with our most intimate partners in this kind of contained way and what that's stirring up within us. Yeah, thanks. I'm so thrilled to be able to make any kind of contribution to what people are experiencing right now. And, and um, I want to hold just, you know, I hold you and your lovely family and all the families who are hearing this with such a warm heart right now. Yeah. Cause we are all whew, yeah. facing something huge, huge, unprecedented in our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. And the isolation piece is a big part of what people are experiencing and the fear piece is a big part of what people are experiencing and the grief. And I think they're actually all working in tandem. Mm -hmm. And what I'm seeing from people right now in my practice with the couples I'm seeing with my own family, with my own friends is that the implicit memory system is really deeply at work for people right now, which is good. That's the evolutionary design here. You want to break that down for my listeners? And I do. Absolutely. So think about memory as happening in two different levels. One is what we would call explicit And the other is what we would call implicit. Explicit is like factual memory. Like I remember where I was on my last birthday. Or I remember where I lived when I was seven. Or it could be something I've learned in school. I know George Washington was the first president of the U.S. It was not because I was there. But that would all be an explicit memory category. (laughs) And then there's implicit memory and implicit memory is operating constantly behind the scenes and your implicit memory system 
it's comprised of a lot of different areas, but I don't want to get into the nitty gritty details of it because I think that can be overwhelming. But to say it like this, your implicit memory system is the major part of your survival. There is no moment of any day where that living memory is not feeding you about what this next moment means. All the time, like not just right all now, but all the time. All the time. Yeah. If, if we pay really, really, really close attention to the here and now, like if I've been a mindfulness meditator for a while, which I have, and I'm in my meditation, I might get to like only 60% of my lived experiences now memory. <laughs> only 60% only 60% so here's a way to break it down so I have a daughter I have one kiddo uh, her, her name's Stella and I'll probably reference her because it's an easy way to reference how the system works uh, when she she's now six but when she was one and she first discovered grass hmm. she didn't know grass and she would touch it with her fingers and rub her face on it and put it in her mouth and smell it. And she had no idea what this thing was. And as she's taking in that experience, what's happening, she's building an implicit memory of this thing. And at the same time, I'm the mom going, yes, that's grass grass and now she's developing a name for the thing right which is more the explicit piece which is a little bit more of the explicit now we're tying explicit and implicit together but she knows the feeling of grass and if if some dog had barked at her really loudly the first time she had discovered grass she might even develop a fear of grass mm -hmm. right that didn't happen for her she loves grass she thinks grass is lovely but but it could have happened right okay now, flash forward to her being four, does she stop and examine the grass anymore? Hmm. No, she doesn't have to. Because as she's running down the sidewalk, what she's actually go dealing with is figuring out like what's new in this environment and what's already a known entity in this environment. And so every bit of every day, and we should be so grateful that our implicit memory systems work like this, because if not, we would look like one-year-olds forever. Right. <laughs> We would always figure out what the chair is by feeling it and licking it. <laughs> but we don't have to do that. We walk into the room and we go, that's a sitting thing. And then we sit down and right. we move on with our day and invent things like indoor plumbing. I love it. Right? So, so our implicit memory makes our life easier because yes. we don't have to newly discover everything. Exactly. So thank God for it. Mm -hmm. And it holds all sorts of the procedural memory, like movement, like how to walk. And it holds all sorts of emotional knowings, like what do I expect in relationship? And what do I expect the world to feel like? Um, and sometimes those are categorized. And generally, it's really great. Like you were saying, oh, that's such a good thing. Thank God we have this implicit memory. It frees up my brain to not refigure things out every moment of every day. And in moments like this, what's going to happen is the parts of your implicit memory that have been categorized to know what to do when you're in danger and alone 
are going to be activated. Got it. Which just means, how did I learn to protect myself? What did I personally expect danger to look like? How did I personally get out of that and have success? And, and when I'm talking about this, what success means is I'm alive at the end. Survival. Exactly. Yeah. If, if that, it's a really good black and white yes or no answer. You survived, check. We like that one. That one works. Store that, that way of protecting myself for later. So one of the things that I think is really, really hard for our couples, for our friendships, is that we're all cued into yeah. our protective systems. Right now. We're right all now. Yeah. There's no way not to be cued. Do not assume that you're not. You are. At least a little bit. And probably at different moments of the day, more or less. Because we have a whole field right now of, of senses of something being really a mess. Yeah. And it's dangerous out there. We know that. And it's not a specific thing, right? I can't point to it and go, there's a tiger running at me right now. You can't see it. You can't see it. And so there's nowhere for my defensive orienting response to point. So it's just going to point everywhere and fall back into whatever my personal implicit memory is around how I protected myself. When I was growing up, how did I adapt? As I'm hearing you say this, and I might not be getting it fully. Mm -hmm. Sure. But in the absence of something seeable, knowable, Mm -hmm. that we're sensing as that danger, Mm -hmm. the implicit memory, am I getting this right, is is finding whatever feels familiar Mm -hmm. and landing there. It sure could. Mm-hmm. It could be that we grew up in a space where there was a lot of danger, a lot of places. So holding an awareness of wide availability to danger is normal for us. But for those of us who it isn't, we might be telling a story to ourselves that's a little bit more specific because that's what we know danger to look like. So, and so just this, holding a wide space is too much. And, and this, you know, I've seen this in my practice. I'm, I've heard a lot of other colleagues seeing this in their practice as well, but mm-hmm. that sometimes folks who grew up with a lot of chaos in their lives, with a lot of mm-hmm. trauma, mm-hmm. are managing this differently than mm-hmm. people who hadn't grown up with that degree of chaos and trauma. Yes. yes. In fact, maybe a little bit um, more calmly. Calmly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that it uh, feels a little familiar, mm-hmm. that there's a known entity here. I, I agree. I am seeing that. My yeah. people who have a little bit more uh, chaos in their background are actually handling this a little bit more calmly. Almost because like the I chaos it's, itself is the familiarity. It's so familiar. Yeah. I've, and, and the whole system goes, it's okay. I've survived this once. I can do it again. I got this. I know exactly right. what to do here. Mm-hmm. which feels way more congruent yeah. to inside of the system than if I were had that history, but we're living in total safety, then the internal memory 
versus what I'm seeing in the world doesn't match. And it makes me feel kind of nutty, even though there's nothing actually nutty going on. We all live in memory all the time. Which memories do you live in? You know? Yeah. So that's, there's two things happening. One is application. And like we're talking about, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, totally. The people who are in more chaos are doing okay right now. (laughs) Right. All my, all my really, my people whose, whose protectors show up with a lot more anxiousness. Yeah. I've actually calmed down. Yes, they have. They've actually calmed down a lot. Um, There's that piece. (laughs) And then there's now the anxiety has a direction. It has a point to focus on. It has something to do. And every, and everybody around me is actually feeling something similar. So suddenly (laughs) I feel way less alone. My, my, my people who have have a lot of anxiety are actually feeling way less alone, (laughs) even in this isolated state than maybe they do in the world. Because the, the experiences of so many people are now congruent with mine. Yeah. That's so big. It's so big. <laughs> it's like we, we can't pass over that part. It's, it, that's huge. Right, and it's exactly. important just to hear on both sides of the spectrum. It's yes. important to hear. Yeah. Yes. And that part that we're talking about is the knowing of the wound and the knowing of the prediction. Mm. Right? So there's, those get coupled together. They go like a lock and key. There's a knowing of this particular kind of hurt or this particular kind of fear and a knowing about what kind of thing causes that. If, it, if it's a lot of stuff going on in your background, it's everything causes that. Versus maybe there were pockets yeah. of really difficult experiences. And it's a little bit more specific, like um, people rejecting me in relationship causes that. Which is more specific than everything causes that. Right. Right. So what I notice is two, two layers coming up simultaneously. One is the locked knowing what causes wounding and the, and the knowing of the pain itself or the fear itself, right? That's the kind of basic lower level. And then the answer to that, the adaptation, the protection. So I have clients who maybe don't usually do this, but all of a sudden are disaster planning. They're not preppers normally, but they're moving into total disaster mode and going, it's so weird. I'm having fantasies about homesteading right now. And I haven't thought about that since I was like 15 and thought about leaving my parents' house. I'm like, yep, there's your protective system. Active again. Hello and welcome. Right. I have people who have come to me really confused. They're like, I know there's this big outbreak and I should be having more feelings about that. That's not what I'm having feelings about. I'm really sure my boyfriend is cheating on me. Mm-hmm. But this boyfriend has been around for a couple of years. There's never been an issue around that with this boyfriend, but I've known this client for a while and this is where she goes when she's in a panicked space uh-huh. is to assume betrayal. Uh huh. So it's it's right? the betrayal from the person who's close to her, right? Yeah, exactly. So it could be that our adaptation, our protection, shows up, and it doesn't feel that relevant to the current situation. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, that's totally fine. That's totally normal. It's been years since I've had sleeping trouble. 
since I was a kid. I, I used to process a lot of fear and anxiety at night because it wasn't so welcome during the day in my home. There's a lot going on. And so I would have nightmares or have trouble falling asleep. I got my sleep under control 10 years ago. And I'll tell you, since this started, I'm not sleeping well. It's like my old system came in and said, don't worry, I got this. I know how to handle this, hon. We, we stay totally fine during the day and we process all the stress at night. <laughs> and there I can be with my clients and I can be with my child and I can be with my husband and now I don't sleep, <laughs> right? So one thing to do with the protective systems that come is to welcome them. Yes, Welcome the protectors. Welcome the protectors. Welcome all that come. So let's, can, can we drop yeah. into this a little bit? Because mm-hmm. this idea of welcoming the protectors, especially when like, you know, I, I may have been in therapy for years or my clients may have been in therapy for years mm-hmm. because these, these so-called protectors are really wreaking havoc in my life and in my relationships. And now Absolutely. you're telling me to welcome them. I am. <laughs> I'm asking us to follow the guest house by Rumi. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Mm-hmm. Welcome them all. Yeah. Greet them at the door laughing. They may be clearing you out for some new delight. Mm-hmm. Um, they are here to serve you. Yeah. And they often have great cost. And I don't want to miss acknowledging that. Mm-hmm. My protectors at the moment are making my sleep hell. <laughs> it is coming at great cost to me. (laughs) I'm more tired than I want to be. And I'm already dealing with a lot of stress and like being tired is the next thing I need. Come on. And if I welcome all that come, I welcome the part that just came in and judged the protector Mm -hmm. for costing me so much. Mm -hmm. And I also welcome the one that knows how to help me. Mm-hmm. By processing anxiety when it's the easiest to do, not when I'm with a client, not when I'm with my child, not when I'm trying to be present with my husband, but in the nighttime when everything's calmer. Oh, oh, that just like washed over me in such a delicious way. Because oh, what, okay. I, what I heard in there was, you know, okay, so there's the judgment that just washed in. And then as you were describing it and you were deepening into it, the reason that that protector showed up at that time, historically and now, mm-hmm. is because there's available space to do the deep work that's necessary around processing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and there so, isn't that availability during the day. No, there's not. So I have so much gratitude for that protector. And that's unique to my job. You know, mm-hmm. when I'm, when I'm sitting in the therapy chair and being human to human and heart to heart with one of my people, me being in extreme anxiety is not going to leave me in a space where I can connect to them. No, or, <laughs> or, or, or be yeah. With them. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, that's not the best time. Yeah. And here's what I notice is the second I open myself up to gratitude for it, mm-hmm. here's the next thought that pops up for me. If I really like let my heart space open to it, let my gut brain feel into, oh yeah, there's wisdom there. The next thing that happens is my body lets go a little bit. I notice a tension along my spine releasing 
And then there's this thought that comes, well, maybe it doesn't have to always happen at night. You know, it could be that sharing this with your husband a little bit more rather than going alone protective is maybe a better option. So notice this is when I come into relationship with my protective system, it feels heard, seen, it ha I have gratitude for it. It goes, yeah, finally, thanks for acknowledging what I'm doing for you. <laughs> they have attitude, our protectors. They like talk to us snarly. They're like little teenagers. Or right, they're totally, they're totally <laughs> both, both. <laughs> I have some that are both ages. <laughs> As do I. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, as I do that and they feel seen and heard, I actually am lowering my own internal sense of isolation in that moment. I'm basically creating a secure attachment with myself. Yeah. And, and this, this is, this is big any, any day of your life. It's, it's really big right now, but it's big any day of your life. That's right. Because, because this this is the thing that all of us crave is to be seen and heard and to be understood. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. in this moment where we're lowering, lowering these defenses and coming into relationship with these protective parts or aspects of mm -hmm. ourselves, that's right. We're doing that deep, deep, deep work yeah. of seeing, hearing and understanding ourselves. And then receiving being heard and seen and understood. You know, this is where my wound is. I keep missing the receiving part. So yeah. It's, it's interesting that, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, huge. It's not just the giving piece. It's actually the receiving piece by the protective system. Yeah. And when we complete that circle, it reminds me of this lovely moment I had with my kid. She was watching, we were at a pizza place and she was watching uh, people next to us having a conversation. She's about five and she looks over at me and she goes, mommy, when people say thank you, why do people say you're welcome? She had observed this in the conversation next it was this lovely moment where we got, we actually got our hands involved in this whole thing and said, because it completes the circle. Thank you is this moment where we say, I see what you are and what you just gave to me. And when we say you're welcome, what we say is, oh, I see that you saw. And until the circle is finished, it doesn't feel complete. It feels like our thank you fell down a well. Oh, where'd it go? Yes. Yeah. So, and that's something for all those couples out there, you know, listening to this. In general, this is every day, but especially now, completion of the circle of communication mm -hmm. is one of the most essential things you can do right now. It's a practical day-to-day -day thing you can do. where somebody makes some bid for connection. It could be a gratitude piece, like a thank yep. you. Yeah. It could be something else, like a, hey, do you want to take a walk later, right? We don't have to say yes or you're welcome right away, but to answer the bid in some manner is so essential. Even if that answer is, is going to be a no. Right. And, right. And there's a way yeah. to answer that. Yeah. 
there's a specific, do you want, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. And I know you have lots of ideas about this too. I don't think an answer has to be yes. Yeah. I, I actually, it's kind of like improv school. Only my words are a little bit different. I say no. And <laughs> no. And I'm feeling alone too, but I'm a little too anxious to go outside right now and go on a walk. Mm-hmm. Is there another way we could connect later? Could I we like listen to a podcast there. together? Could we rub each other's feet while we watch a silly show? Can we go out on the back porch where we know we're safe and uh, have a glass of wine and chill out and hold hands and we don't even have to talk? Because I know a lot of my couples are in a space where they're like, are I use a lot of uh, relational life therapy language because that's my main model. I know you do too. Yep. Yep. Uh, My intellectual intimacy is falling through the floor (laughs) because nothing happens anymore. (laughs) All the news is only about this one thing. I am not hearing about anything but this one thing. I'm not going anywhere seeing anyone but you, like these people who live with me. Totally. We are getting bored. Mm-hmm. Right. And so our intellectual intimacy is falling away a little bit. Yeah. And I get that. And I think there can be a space for a lot of grace mm-hmm. around that and around exploring, Hey, you know what? And this is something to do if you're in a, a relatively good space with your partner, right? This isn't something to do if you've been fighting for three days straight. But if, if we're, if we're hanging in and we're in relational growth and we love this work and we don't have anything interesting to say right now, we can see what it would be like to sit side by side and be quiet. Mm. Right. Just be quiet together. See what happens next. And to make that as an offering, like, no, I don't want to go on a walk with you. And I would love to sit down with you when you're back from your walk and just sit with you. Yeah. So in other words, you know, the subtext here is I don't want to do that thing, but I'm not rejecting you. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 And notice I have to welcome my partner's protective system in -hmm. order to do this. So my partner has a protective system who lowers his anxiety by getting a lot of information, Mm -hmm. which means he's watching news like crazy right now. One of the ways my system deals with lower anxiety is to, is to ignore news. I, it doesn't help me. I'm not going to do anything different than what I'm doing. And by the way, this is such an important point is neither one of us is doing it right. Right. His way is fine. And my way is fine. And the other night um, we had this lovely exchange. He did great. I did great. It's a, you know, we don't always, but we did this moment is he starts talking to me about something he had read in a headline. We're brushing our teeth. We're getting ready for bed. And I turned to him and I said, baby, I know you want to talk about this. I can't do it right before bed. We can totally do it tomorrow. I'm up for it in the morning, but I can't, it, it just makes me more anxious at night. He goes, he stops for a second. He goes, that makes sense. Cause you're the opposite of me. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I totally am. He's like, 
Yeah, that's cool. I'm going to need to scroll through my phone for an hour though, before I can relax. I'm like, totally scroll through your phone for an hour. I love you. Have a good time. (laughs) See, so James and I had the opposite exchange of that where I'm more like your partner and I was going through and, and kind of sharing something with him. And he, Mm -hmm. he didn't have the words necessarily, but Mm -hmm. he did this like shaking it off like a dog thing, (laughs) like a dog (laughs) after a fight, you know? And I just like watched that energy discharge and I was like, Oh, okay. You know, I'm going to go take a shower. (laughs) And then we came back together and we were like, okay, we saw what just happened. Yeah, You don't need what I was kind of needing and I can find another way to take care of me. Yeah, Thank you for letting me know. Like that became the conversation. Exactly. And here's a tip for everybody who's in this space together is the moment where your partner's shaking off like a dog The moment where we're feeling a little irritated by the other one's protective system, i.e. we're about to do a a protector to protector dance. Mm -hmm. It ain't going to be good. It's not going to be pretty. It's going to be a little bit more like karate than tangoing, right? (laughs) It's not the moment to have the meta conversation. Right. That's not the time. That's the moment to move back into welcoming our own protective system finding if there is a space available if not that's cool just take a little time is there space available to recognize oh that's him protecting himself that's her protecting herself right and i think and that's, that's why me doing the same in my example that's why it was like there was a part of me that went oh and in that, oh, in that awareness, I was mm-hmm. like, okay, what do I really need right now? I need some kind of rinsing off, discharge, letting that's go, right. not holding it all inside of me. And that's where the shower became the option for me that, you know, was better Brilliant. than using him. That's so I'm, right. I'm sharing that as a, like, oh, I think it's a you drop wonderful. into the, oh. Exactly. It's a wonderful example of the creation of a pause. I think your example is what made me think about it because I yeah. think you guys did that so well in that moment. And we don't always, right? Oh, in that moment. Times, <laughs> no, exactly. A lot of times when therapists are talking in spaces like this, we make it sound like everything's peaceful in our homes. Not true. <laughs> we want it to be. We'd love for that to happen, but that's not the reality we're living in. But there is something to it though, because I think one of the things we do, and and I noticed that in my own healing process, especially Mm -hmm. relationally, Mm -hmm. amplifying things that work, Mm. making like marking them and Mm -hmm. making them significant in my memory Mm -hmm. is really important because now I have a new reference point for how to do this. So huge. And can I tell you a little brain science tidbit about why you should always do that? So the right amygdala and the left amygdala. And a lot of people know that language for those who don't just know it's an assessor in the lower brain. It's often tagged as a fear assessor, but it actually assesses everything. So don't be fooled. Um, But on the right and left, you have two amygdala in your head and only the left side does positive, but both sides do negative processing, Uh, unpleasant, dangerous processing. And what ends up happening is one quarter of one second is all it takes to process negative information. One quarter of one second. But to take in positive information takes 15 to 20 seconds. 
So this is why they talk about the difference between how we weigh positive and negative That's mem- like stuff that it, it has can to take- do with the processing speed. Uh-huh. I had never heard it explained that way, Jules. Thank right. you. Yeah. Yeah. So 15 to 20 seconds. And I'm so glad we're talking about this and really tagging it. Look at what you did just then. Mm-hmm. You said, oh, wow, I'm observing this. And then you took a pause, mm-hmm. found some other way to let go of that energy and then you guys could come back and have a meta conversation about, oh, wasn't that an interesting reaction? And it's out of there that come, oh, maybe it would be helpful if we tried this or this. And don't worry if it doesn't work. That was just an experiment anyway. Right. Yeah. So we want, we, we do actually want to slow down and notice, oh, that's a, pause and that's what worked first. And then after the pause, you realize there was another way to do the same thing. And then after that, you guys come back. Right. And, and it's, you know, I think every couple stumbles upon these really positive exchanges. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. We just need to highlight them more Mm -hmm. because if you don't spend 15 to 20 seconds, let's, let's pause here and just notice 15 seconds. I'm going to count it off. Here we go. Everybody listen. I'm only five seconds in guys. Wow. I have to talk about this for a long time. Now I'm in 10 seconds. And now we had 15 seconds. Oh my God, that's long. (laughs) And so if I'm actually going to be paying attention to something positive, notice how I have to draw out my awareness. And drop in. Really deeply drop in. Because I'm, if I'm I'm in an escalated state, Mm -hmm. right? And and I'm kind of, you know, fired up. Yep. I'm not going to be able to drop in and slow down. In that moment, the only thing I can do is pause for a sec. Mm-hmm. And then I come into a really good relationship with myself. Right. And that's the moment to come into relationship with the, that protective system and really welcome it and say thank you and be curious about what are, what are your hopes for me in this moment, little protective system. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing neurologically that's happening is the neocortex, which is the evolutionarily newer part of our brain, it works slower, it works with more nuance, it works with more skill, right? Is not where your protector lives. (laughs) Your protector lives in your subcortical brain. And when I say come into the relationship, what I mean is have your neocortex talk to your subcortical brain. And the reason for that, the really important, like just logical reason for that is your subcortical is faster. If you are not in relationship with it, it runs your show, period. Mm -hmm. So this is coming back to the language of RLT, Mm -hmm. of relational life. This is the whoosh, the first consciousness. The whoosh. And getting back into relationship with the protector. Mm -hmm. This is the second consciousness. This is the talking to. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And what we're doing really is we're hooking our prefrontal cortex to our subcortical system. 
got unhooked for a second. And what we're going to do is we're going to reintegrate our brains. So when a brain is integrated, all the different parts of it stay doing their own thing. They stay differentiated, but they also have really good relationship. They come into linkage with each other. When they're not, oh, we flip our lids, right? And my neocortex is functional. That's why I can still talk to you. I haven't lost my ability to yell at you in the middle of my kitchen, <laughs> right? But who's running my show? It's the subcortical who's running my show. And it's not that the prefrontal cortex no longer exists in my life, but it's not in relationship to the subcortical. It's disintegrated. My brain got unintegrated for a minute. And here's the key. Have you guys ever talked about polyvagal theory on this show before? No, we haven't yet. Go there. Okay, so this is brand new for everybody. So I'm going to break it down like this. Okay. I'm like geeking out right now with you. It's it's super fun. (laughs) So here's, here's the thing. First, I have to just let you know that this is a, this is actually a theory of the evolution of the autonomic nervous system. So if I were to stack a brain in general, I'd say brainstem autonomic nervous system base fastest. It is the lowest part of your brains when the oldest then subcortical, that would include basal ganglia, limbic system, um, insula, anterior cingulate, that sort of thing. And then the neocortex sort of wraps on top. So I'm talking about the very, very, very lowest part of your brain. So the very, very lowest part In of your brain. In that hand model where... Right? I'm using the hand model. For anyone who hasn't seen it, I'll, I'll try to send Rebecca a picture of it. But it's the palm of your hand is the brainstem lower brain. If you tuck your thumb into the middle, uh, that would be the subcortical system, the limbic system, but it also includes others. And then if you wrap your fingers around the top, that's the neocortex. And the neocortex wraps around the brain like you wrapped a package. So when we're talking about that base system, we're talking about your palm. I am. Exactly. Okay. And this, so polyvagal theory, which was created by a guy named Stephen Porges and has tons of research behind it at this point. Um, His theory is a theory of the evolution of the autonomic nervous system. And it goes like this. Once upon a time, I was a non-bony fish. And when I was a non-bony fish, I floated through the ocean and I did not need to do anything other than digest food. Enter what's called the dorsal vagal complex. And it's, it's a part of your parasympathetic nervous system. And it just calms everything down. One of the ways I remember that is I say parasympathetic, like parachute. It chills everything out. It floats it down. Right? So you've got your dorsal vagal complex as its base point. Then we became bony fish. And when we became bony fish, we had to solve a problem. We all of a sudden need to get energy to muscles that are connected to bone so that I can propel myself through the water. So enter the sympathetic nervous system. And what we do is we just stack it on top. Evolution is a tinkerer, not an engineer. They do not rip out the system and rebuild it. They just add new stuff on top. So, okay, 
Now we have a sympathetic nervous system that can make me go and a parasympathetic nervous system that digests my food. It's actually in charge of rest and digest functions. And that's that really old vagus, the dorsal vagal complex. Then we became mammals and we have to solve two problems really fast. One is we're suddenly warm-blooded. And if we were a warm-blooded animal and our heart beat like a lizard, we would die before we could ever reproduce. Mm. And second, which is the bigger problem, is that I need to come into belly-to-belly -belly contact with mom in order to feed. I'm actually born, as a mammal, I'm born in a not ready to live on my own state, which is weird, considering all the other animals on the, pro on the planet, all the fish and lizards, they like get born out of an egg and then they find food and survive or don't, right? Mammals are not like that. We are born in vulnerability and the more evolutionarily new, the longer the vulnerability period, right? So I need to be able to come into belly-to-belly -belly contact with somebody of my species and not freak out. Well, lizards can't do that. Lizards don't come face to face with each other. There's a reason for that. Because when they do, they either fight or they run. But with mammals, we have to calm all that down so we can come into contact long enough to nurse, to make love. Some of our species do make love. And we're not the only ones, by the way, belly to belly, right? We have to calm down our nervous systems so that when we come into face-to-face -face contact with an other, we don't automatically go into threat. Right. Enter the ventral vagal complex, which regulates my heart. And it's often known as the vagal break. And the reason they call it that, it's like a break in a car and it goes shh to my heart rate. And this creates something called heart rate variance or respiratory sinus arrhythmia. For the geeks out there, yes, I know those are slightly different terms, but a lot of people use them interchangeably, and in this moment, we're not going to worry about those details too much. So what that's doing is actually creating a rhythm difference in my heart, where when I breathe in, my heart rate raises because the brake releases, and when I breathe out, the heart rate slows because the brake goes down, just like it does in a car. So when energy comes through the vagus nerve, it goes shh and slows down my heart a little bit. Okay, here's something crazy. This is so cool. I'm going to send you a chart so you can post it for our people. To. Please. So this whole system has a one quarter of one second scan. So four times a second, it is scanning for safety or danger. So basically, the this lower is that part of your, same one quarter that you were talking about before in terms of processing negative. It's not exactly. It's a okay. similar speed, but they're actually different parts of the brain. Okay. So, but it's also one and one quarter of a second. In some of the studies, it looks like one fifth of a second. Most of them say one quarter. Super fast. Yeah. At this point, who cares? Right. right? <laughs> the point <laughs> is, is that it's super, super fast. For our relational health, it's really, really important for me. When, when I know my clients have such a gift when they get this thing. So there's this thing that Porges coined the term neuroception. And he mm -hmm. didn't want to use the word perception because he wanted to take consciousness out of it. What he's saying is four times a second, this lower part of your brain is scanning the input from your body and from your external senses your sight, your, your smell, your sounds, your touch, right? 
your, all of the senses and the emotional knowing that's held in the gut brain and the heart brain, all the sensations that are in your viscera. It's scanning four times a second and it says, am I okay? Am I okay? Am I okay? <laughs> that's it over and over and over again. And if the answer is yes, each one of these branches has a job. And if the answer is no, you're in danger, each of these branches also has a job, but it's not the same job. Mm. So when I'm in safety, my dorsal vagal is in charge of gut motility and rest functions. That oldest part. When my system is in danger, it's in charge of collapse. It's the freeze response. It's when people get surprised and faint. When I'm in safety, my sympathetic nervous system is used for play mm-hmm. and seeking. <laughs> seeking functions live there. And when, it's, when I'm in danger, that part of my system is used for fight flight. And when I'm in safety, my ventral vagal complex regulates my system enough that connection and bonding is possible. It's the connection and bonding function on the ventral vagal side. And when that brake lifts off my heart, I go into what I like to call warning state. And what Porges' research is talking about is he says that the brain is really only capable of a couple of thought processes in a bigger general way when we're in that state where my heart rate's elevated and flat, but it's not so high I went into a fight flight. And this is where almost all our couples run into trouble is in this state. It's this warning state. And here are the two things you can do. You can be an agenda and or you can be in judgment. Say that again. Yep. You can be an agenda and or you could be in judgment. Yeah. And I was talking to Porges about this a few years ago and having a conversation with him about what this looked like to me in the room and what does this maybe indicate? And we don't have research that would prove this point at this stage, but here's what it feels like to me. And in that conversation, he verified, huh, that may be interesting. That may be onto something. Um, Is agenda is like a fight response, but it's social, it's verbal. And judgment is a flight response, Mm. but it's social, it's verbal. So think about it like this. If I'm an agenda with you, basically, I'm going to get you to do something other than what you're doing. I'm going to change what you're doing with my words instead of changing what you're doing by grabbing your shoulders and moving you. It's a, it's both our agenda spaces. It's a fight response. It's just the verbal kind instead. And judgment psychologically distances us from another person. So it's a flight response, but it's on the verbal side. It's, or it's on the thought space. You know, I'm one whose protective system interpersonally does tend to go towards judgment some. And what I notice about it is how other the other suddenly feels. 
when mm-hmm. I'm in that space. And I'm a marriage and family therapist. So right. I know not to say that stuff out loud. I just think it in my brain. <laughs> now, it makes now, no difference, by the way. We can right? also turn this around on ourselves though, right? Because like, oh, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm really good at judgment, but mostly really good at judgment of me. I am awesome at judgment of me too. I'm with you on that one. So that's pulling me out then of relationship with my protector. Yes. And therefore you're with yourself. Uh, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. I don't get to be in good relationship with myself if I don't get to welcome all my parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So here's the take home point, right? Is one, this is a quarter of a second process. So don't think you're going to preempt it. Everybody calm down about that. You're not going to get it perfect, whatever that means. But notice if I or my partner is in a warning state, they have entered into agenda, into judgment, into basically a protective system. If they have done that, they are physiologically incapable of connection and bonding in that moment. Say it again, Jules, please. Yep. When we have that vagal break released from our heart, it is physiologically impossible to connect and bond in that moment. Yes. If I ask my partner to keep trying to connect and bond with me while they are in a neuroceptive warning state, they will not be able to do what I am asking them. I'm setting myself up for a lot of frustration and a lot of shame. Can I, can I use an example of my children right here to see if I'm understanding this correct? Mm -hmm. There's this thing that's happened in my home. I have two girls. They're both Mm -hmm. preteens. We're isolated. My husband and I are working. They're Mm -hmm. spending a lot of time with each other and guess what they do every now and then they get triggered and they fight with each other. (laughs) Totally. And, And incidentally, what I have found to be the best fix for this Mm -hmm. is giving them hugs. Yes. Not talking, not asking any question at all about what happened, Mm -hmm. but showing up and giving hugs. Mm -hmm. And then after things kind of settle into those hugs, then we can talk. And can I tell you about why that is a really good move? (laughs) Is in that moment, them problem solving is not available to them. Mm -mm them coming in to repair with each other is not available to them. Mm -hmm. Physiologically impossible. Mm -hmm. But what they are doing is receiving care and shelter, right? A hug is really sheltering is why it works so well. Yeah. Is shelter from someone who is way more regulated than them. Mm -hmm. If you had an agenda calming them down while you gave the hug, it would not work because you would be in neuroceptive danger. Yeah. I would not be so regulated. Exactly. Yeah. And then you're not available for connection and bonding either. Right. And that's not helpful. And now this is bringing me back just as for an, as an, with a, to connect back to an earlier example that you gave. This mm-hmm. is also why your protector shows up when you're trying to go to sleep and not while you're sitting in a therapist chair. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because if I get into that dysregulated space, I'm going to be an agenda with my people. Right. And then they're going to feel that. And they may or may not be able to name it. But what's going to happen is both of our systems enter into and then stay in neuroceptive danger. 
Mm. Now, connection and bonding is not available. Seeking behaviors is not available. Play is not available. Rest is not available. Digestion functions go offline. So look at all that's not available when we are in distress. So the only thing to do when you're in distress is to slow down, take a pause. And if it feels safe for your system, like your girls can receive that hug in that moment. Right. Sometimes. Right. Sometimes. And sometimes not. Mm -hmm. And if they can't, we give them space and just keep checking in. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it could be that having touch in a moment where I'm in high distress actually feels more threatening to my system. Even if that touch is coming from a space of deep offering. Yeah. You know, an offering is no offering at all unless the other person has the ability to say no without punishment. Yeah, I want to pause there because that, that is a really wise statement. That offering is no offering at all unless the other person has the ability to say no without judgment. Yeah, no punishment involved, no retaliation, or it wasn't an offering in the first place. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's big. Yeah. So one of the pieces around helping ourselves, I think we are in this isolation space. We are in um, enormous amounts of fear and enormous amounts of grief around, you know, I think of disappointment as many grief. And when the world in front of me doesn't look like what I hoped it would, I have that moment of grief, a little mini grief. Right? I've been feeling a lot of that lately. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I mean, we all have. Yeah. And notice there's this moment. Grief is such a healing agent. I think actually, I think of it as like a process, as a whole process, like there's an arc to it. So there's the moment of shock, the moment of recognition that the world doesn't look like I thought it was going to look like. The world didn't, doesn't look like what I was hoping it would look like. This could be a micro moment between my partner and I. Do you want to go for a walk? No, that doesn't sound so good to me. Maybe we can hook up right after you get back. In me, when I made that offering and you didn't, oh, if I was really attached to us going to walk together, I will have disappointment. That's fine. Don't worry about that. <laughs> but... That first moment of shock sends us into neuroceptive danger for just a second. And if we can come back into relationship with ourselves, if we can come back into a pause, if we can allow ourselves just to, to let ourselves feel the sadness of the moment, then that will automatically allow us to let it go. I actually think of grief as the, as the process of acceptance that one equals the other. That is a beautiful way to think about it. I, you know, what's coming up for me as we're talking about this mm. is that I think we're all right now sitting at this place where we have to sit with our grief, mm-hmm. you know, that the world doesn't look the way that we wanted it to look mm-hmm. um, or that we would have it look. Mm-hmm. That grief is, is like ever present for everyone right now. Oh my God, so and deep. It's so, so deep. And so we're tasked with this process of acceptance, but, but how many of us push away grief in everyday life? Like oh, up until I this think point, every moment. Yeah. 
think every moment, and my guess is right now, we are, because we yeah. don't want to accept this. I get it. If I accept this reality, that means this is reality. Mm-hmm. I, but I don't want that, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I want to say something huge about grief. Is it okay? Mm-hmm. Neuro- neurologically? Yeah. There are two emotions we do not process alone particularly well, and they are grief and fear. When you say we don't process them alone, what I'm hearing you say is that we need to be social creatures in those spaces. We need Mm -hmm. another. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it could be that it's without words. It could be that it is with a hug. We're sitting on the couch together in silence. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That is a fine way to be with it, not alone. So, you know, we have, you can see it in small kiddos. When my kiddo is sad and when my kiddo is in fear, she tends to call out, I want mommy, I want mommy, and run towards me during those two emotions in particular. When she's excited, she doesn't run towards me. She's, she wants me to share in it. Mommy, look what I can do. But she doesn't move closer to my body. Right. And there's a thing that happens as we're actually in connection and in enough regulation that we're in that neuroceptive safety space mm-hmm. where we start sharing our nervous systems. This is why my children are showing up in my bed in the middle of the night now. That's right. Mm-hmm. And mine is too. And mm-hmm. she hasn't done that in a while. And yeah. she's, she's doing it all the time and crawling mm-hmm. into bed and needing longer to be put down right now. Yep. It's because she can feel the stress and she's yeah. sick. She's not processing a lot out loud about stress. I asked her about how is this for you? How is this sickness? And the fact that the sickness leaves us staying inside a lot. How is that for you? And she goes, I don't know. It's weird. And she's also doing baby play like crazy. And she's whining way more. And she wants longer cuddle time at night. And she's waking up in the middle of the night. She doesn't usually do that. So all of these things, I'm seeing that stress show up but it's not showing up in a conscious way. That's fine. If I can be in a space where I just recognize, oh, that's her protective system, welcome protective system, towards my kiddo, towards my husband. And towards yourself. And towards myself, exactly. (laughs) Then I don't have to be in judgment of them. That's my way of protecting. Or agenda. You know, I'm going to get them to do this differently than they're doing. The agenda is a controlling piece. It's a controlling piece. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just like a virus. You know what? The other piece that's kind of striking me here is as as you're Mm -hmm. talking about this, I noticed that I have coined these kind of two ways of talking Mm -hmm. about um, the judgment that often shows up, whether it's directed inward at ourselves or outward at our partners or Mm -hmm. others. And just to kind of keep it on a simplified binary, the opposite of For that sure. um, I've, I've talked about is curiosity, mm. right? And as you're mm-hmm. talking about this, I'm, I'm hearing that curiosity kind of showing up too with the, with the like, oh, that's my agenda or, oh, that's my judgment. Like that noticing, that pausing. Mm-hmm. That's that piece of just kind of dropping into like, what's happening for me right here? That's the curiosity. Right. And when you do that, even if you can't follow it, even if you say, oh, what is that? And the answer is, I don't care what the heck it is. That's okay. Because the sheer asking of the question in that way, how do I feel towards that thing? Can I observe that this is happening? 
turns on the little third eye position in the brain, the orbital medial prefrontal cortex and the ventral medial prefrontal cortex. And those parts actually have the ability to observe the subcortical through a direct track that actually goes to the entire limbic system. Whenever you do the that, whole thing down. right. That's, it's like, it's almost like, like a, a here, here, you know, like, like yeah. we're going to be okay. Yeah. Shh. Yeah. 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 And it's, it feels like, um, you know what it feels like on the receiving end as my subcortical receives it. It's like, it's like that greeting. I see you. I am here uh-huh. without any agenda in it. I see you to the protective system. I welcome you to the protective system without agenda that it should change so that I am not in neuroceptive danger. Because if I am, I lost the ability in that moment to connect and bond with me, just like I lost my ability to connect and bond with you. And if we're going to be able to hold this level of fear and this level of grief, one thing we've got to do is have a lot of grace around how often people will be flipping into protective systems, into neuroceptive danger. Of course, of course, a lot of grace around it. We're all doing that all the time. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. All the, it's constant right now. Mm -hmm. And when those moments do come where I can be with myself kindly, when those moments do come where even when he's talking about the news in a way that my system's finding distress, right? And I can, I practice it a lot. And so I can do it relatively quickly if I'm having a good day, right? Where I go, oh, yep, you hate it when he does this. That's because it riles you. Oh, reassert your psychological boundary. That's his way of being with, oh, right. That's his way of calming himself down. Oh, it's true. He would be in more distress if he weren't doing this. Oh, thank you so much for telling me all about the news. And in that moment, right, I can be with him and answer, oh, sweetie, you're really scared. Can I give you a hug right now? And I may not engage in a conversation about what happened in the news that day for my system. That's not that great. No. Yeah. And, and it's a boundary thing for me. Like for my system, I would be overtaxing myself to do that. You're, you're doing that work too, right there in that moment where you're telling his system, you're Mm -hmm. telling his system. I see you. I'm here. Yes, exactly. I see that you're scared. I'm Mm -hmm. here for that hug. You, yeah. I don't need to hear everything about the news. That's not what's, but I see that underneath the telling of it, mm-hmm. I see you. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, every, my, you know, we've, we've developed all sorts of ways of being with it, you know, where, oh, in this moment, I can be with you if you need to da- download the flood, or maybe we could write it down or, hey, make a, make a voice recording or send me some articles you really want me to look at and we can talk about them mm-hmm. later tonight, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. James and I have those kinds of things too. We call it, you know, do you want to get on the Becca train or not? (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That's what we develop relationally as Mm -hmm. we learn each other, as we Mm -hmm. start to understand we have different ways each and it doesn't make just like we said before Mm -hmm. any right or any wrong. We just Mm -hmm. have different ways of showing up. That's right. There's no yeah. right, there's no wrong here. But when we do honor the ways the other person is showing up, even if they create a little pain for us, 
when we can welcome them a little bit. And I'm not talking, notice, I'm not talking about welcoming them behaviorally necessarily. I'm talking about lots of limits behaviorally, right? Like the other night when he was talking about the news and I said, oh, you know, right before bed's not a good time for me. Or when you were talking about seeing him shake it off and and you stopping and going, oh, maybe this way of doing it, I can find another way right now. Um, When we're talking about that, I think what we're talking about is coming into enough relationship with ourselves that our brains hook back on. We move into neuroceptive safety and then we are available for a second to come in and experience the grief together because it actually is overwhelming to a single nervous system to experience the fear together because actually it is overwhelming to a single nervous system. So what we need is to spend that time going just having a moment where we're looking face to face and going, I'm really scared. Me too. I'm glad I'm not alone right now. Right now. And that's, that's part of it is as you're describing this, you know, in, in both of our examples, Mm -hmm. what I'm hearing underneath it is, you know, one partner's needing to discharge something to, to talk mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. and the others needing to not be overwhelmed by all that information, mm-hmm. but both in their own ways are scared. Yes. And, and so, if we can just meet there, <clears throat> right. It can create so much relief. Hmm. It's, it's an equalizer. Like the mm-hmm. fear, the grief that becomes the mm-hmm. equalizer. It brings mm-hmm. us into connection yeah. when we can sit in that space and, and get out of the, this is how I'm doing it. This is how I'm doing it. Meet me here. Meet me where I am. And we can meet each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And when I think about joining nervous systems, I think about doing it with eye contact. I think about doing it with touch. Skin to skin contact is a huge part of it. I also think about doing it with words. Yes. So don't worry, because if you're not available to touch or you're not available to have eye contact, you, one of the biggest ways we actually take in neuroceptive safety is through tone of voice. It's actually not as much about what is being said as how it is being said about the, it's really interesting, the ventral vagal nerve actually wraps around your voice box. Mm. And it's one of the quickest tells about whether or not I'm in safety or in danger is how my voice sounds. And so it could even be singing our kids a lullaby at night or talking to my husband or my wife in a little bit of kindness. Wow, that was a hard day today, wasn't it? We're both working. Our kids are coming in. I'm... I'm a a mom of a six-year-old, so most of my couple friends right now have kids who are somewhere between two and seven, (laughs) and both working parents. I know you guys know this world. We are in it. And, you know, just to even to lay down at the end of the day and, you know, have the head hit the pillow and look at each other and go, Wow, that was a hard one, huh? (laughs) It's a great way to share the grief together. Yeah. 
and yeah. to have a moment where I'm not totally isolated in it. I also want to give a big shout out for protective systems that compartmentalize. Hmm. Yeah. Because it is normal right now that you wouldn't want to face all of the fear and all of the grief all at once. So yay to all of our protective systems that are letting us titrate it a bit and yeah. being in a little denial and a little bit of pushing it away and a little bit of watching, you know, my husband and I are on the great British baking show right now. <laughs> it's like the best thing in the world. It's like to the watch. best thing in the world. It's yeah. so awesome. We've yeah. never seen it. This oh is the goodness. perfect moment. Um, so we're, we're, we're <laughs> cuddling on the couch and having a glass of wine and watching British bakers have lovely bakes. <laughs> Not just lovely bakes. I'm just going to give them a little plug for a minute. Not just lovely bakes, but we watch it as a family too. We've, we've watched all of it. So mm -hmm. it's all in, you know, repeat mode for us at this point. Mm -hmm. But what we've also discovered is how kind. Yeah. You know, it, it may be a competition, but there's a kindness. And that feels so soothing, especially now to witness and to watch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's funny it, compared to American reality TV and competition shows and things like that. It, it, it's basically like it's not a competition. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> feel like a comp like it is. Somebody wins, mm -hmm. but it does not feel like a competition to me. And you can just feel how good they are at taking care of each other, even under stress. Yeah, even under stress. And, and that's where our growing edge is, I think, in, yeah. in this time is how can I give myself some grace for being under stress and how can I take care of me and you anyway? Mm. It feels like that, that is perhaps the, the silver lining in all of this mm -hmm. is if collectively we could learn to take that message away. Yeah. How can I take care of me with grace? How can I take, show up for you? Mm -hmm. You know, like how can we connect together? If we could take that, that from this experience, Mm -hmm. that will be, be further gift. evolution yeah that would be a great gift mm -hmm. Jules thank you so much oh you're so welcome today. I'm so <sighs> glad to <laughs> yeah I, I imagine many listeners are going to be very touched and um, digesting this conversation for some time maybe even listening to it over again sure yeah thank you so much that'd be great yeah. How can folks find you? Would you let them know? Sure. Um, my website is www.ipnbaustin.com. And I'll give it to you so you can I'll, I'll put it, it in the show notes, the, yeah. Yeah. Or you can email me at jules at ipnbaustin.com. And IPNB just stands for Interpersonal Neurobiology. So that's why that abbreviation is very strange and hard to pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> that's normal. Totally normal. It's totally normal. It's normal for me to name things badly and make them hard to find. So <laughs> now that it's so hard to find. Oh, I hope not. I hope yeah. not. No, we'll get people there. We'll have a link so they can just click on it. There you the go. Notes. I love it. Yeah. Thank you again. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much. Take care and be well. Yeah, you too.
right, my friends, that's the end of this episode. Please be well and come back next week for another episode of the podcast. Listeners often ask how they can support the ongoing production of the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. Truly, the best way that you can is to simply subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcasting platform, and then hop on over to Apple Podcast and leave us a review. You can learn more about my counseling practice and my collective for therapists at connectfulness.com. This episode was brought to you in partnership with Coronavirus Online Therapy. Learn more at coronavirusonlinetherapy.com. We're an initiative that collects a network of thousands of experienced, licensed private practice therapists who have signed up to provide free and reduced cost short-term online therapy to those serving on the front lines of COVID-19 in all 50 U.S. states. I also want to express my deep gratitude to Sarah and Chris Ferris, the musicians behind the beautiful soundtrack for the Connectfulness Practice podcast, which was recorded and mixed at Kidney Stone Studio. This podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, and copyrighted by Connectfulness Counseling. Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com slash events.